recently I listened to a conversation between Yomni Park and Joe Rogan on the Joe Rogan experience. It wasn't the first time I listened to Yomni Park. I also listened to her the very first time she was talking to Jordan Peterson on the Jordan B. Peterson podcast. Now, for those who do not know who Yomni Park is, she is a North Korean human rights activist, and she's a published author of the book titled In Order to Live. Yomni Park in all these platforms, the podcasts, talks, and the book actually documents her life experiences in North Korea and how she actually had to flee North Korea in 2007 to China and from China making it to Southern Korea where she had the high hopes to meet her sister but also to find refuge around 2009. Currently, Yomni is in the US. But man, there's something great about Yomni's story. And one of the things is that it's a very emotional and a touchy story because part of her experience actually goes through different terrains such as rape, slavery, different forms of abuse, being exposed to new things, new phenomena, new terminologies that she wouldn't have known had her life gotten stuck in Northern Korea. But there's something deep within the conversation between Yomni and Joe Rogan that I wish for us today to actually take a bit of a bite on in this episode. There comes a time in the show where Joe Rogan asks Yomni, why is it that the world is quiet about the atrocities that are taking place in Northern Korea? And why is it that powerful states, you know, you know, the United States of America being one of them, why is it that they are quiet about these atrocities happening in Northern Korea? Why is it that, you know, China is in support of Northern Korea despite, you know, people reporting that the situation in Northern Korea is not so good? You know, in her response, Yonmi actually echoed one word which has actually taken a center stage in the world today in exacerbating even the polarization. And in her response to Joe Rogan, she said, all this is happening because of hypocrisy. Welcome to this new edition of the Visions and Tones podcast. My name is Tony and look, before we dive deep into this episode, I just want to send some shout outs and some love to you listeners of the Visions and Tones podcast. Thank you all for your continued support and from the bottom of my heart, I want to say I appreciate it. A number of people take the initiative to write back to me to make comments or to engage further about certain things that we talk about in the episode 
it has been a while I came in a form of a monologue and you know we've had great um, guests in the previous episodes and I'm happy you know with the content that people had to share and I'm happy with the conversations that continues outside of that platform so I want to thank each and every one of you guys for your love and support and to invite even those who have not done so uh, just know that you do have the platform now to can engage with me further. Visions and Tones has got a uh, Insta platform, and the handle is at underscore visions underscore tones. I repeat, at underscore visions underscore tones. You can have all your comments there, all your suggestions there. But anyway, it says you listen to all the other coming, you know, episodes. Do not forget to like share and comment and to continue spreading some love you know even if some episodes might not really be sitting very well with you i mean that's how we grow and hopefully the dissonance that we all carry in our own angles can actually um, get us to learn even much more further i want to thank each and every one of you for choosing the visions and tones podcast and i hope that we stay in this strong relationship together and I hope that you enjoy this new edition. Cheers. Let us conceptualize hypocrisy so that we know how we talk about it going forward in this episode and i draw from the miriam webster dictionary the definition of hypocrisy and it says it is the behavior of people who do things that they tell other people not to do or the behavior that does not agree with what someone claims to believe or feel I mean, if you listen to these definitions, you can agree that this kind of behavior is actually very popular today, where people say one thing, but do the other. Not that it's the first time it exists. It has always been in existence. But it's just that today it's becoming more apparent than before. And some people that you hope for these things not to happen from, they actually do it even with more confidence these days. You know, everybody does it. It's a human nature, so to say, that is unavoidant today. And it creates this paradox of our lives and paints it terribly because it creates a whole lot of mistrust even when charismatic people or people who are said to have charismatic leadership skills or whatnot begin to behave in this way. Everybody does it. Politicians do it. You know, as appealing to people to vote for them for better service delivery, but when that is done, then it's a different story. 
employers do it, promise to look after employees and give them a good salary, but while you're at that, then exploitation kicks in. Religious organizations do that. We love you. You're welcome. Um, it's all about the relationship, not about the religion. But before you, you know, even forget about that line, already somebody's on some backflips with a whole lot of religious extremism. You know, families do it. Friends do it. They love you on the one hand, but on the other hand, they're biting you or whatever the case, you know. It is sad. I mean, if we can just take a little bit of a dive within the political terrain in itself, you see how hypocrisy actually uplifts the polarization of the world such that people today cannot even have disagreements, but at the same time, love each other or even stand together. There's so much growing intolerance of different views. You know, it's either you're with me or you're not. It's, you know, there's not that sense of I can disagree with you, but still love you. The capitalists cannot stand Marxists. Republicans cannot stand Democrats. The conservatives cannot stand either the labor or the greens or whatever. And this goes to the extent of even silencing the real experiences of certain people. Recently, I just learned about, you know, different counties yeah, in, in, in the United States where Part of the Republicans are actually challenging certain curriculum in, in schools that actually teaches critical race theory. And the reason for that is because they say critical race theory teaches, you know, black kids to see white kids as inherently racist. Now, that's not the case that I'm more worried about. What I'm more worried about is the fact that when you go back to elections again, the very same politicians want to come and use race and racial experiences to appeal to the masses to get votes. This, this is where it sticks painfully for me to say you want to use one's lived experiences for your own advantage, but the very same people cannot use their lived experiences to actually speak up or speak out about how they actually feel in the world. It's terrible. It is not just only even apparent in that context. Different kinds of contexts present the you know, polarization and the hypocrisy that takes place in the world today. There is also the growing trend of cancel culture that we can look at, where in the beginning it was more about canceling people who are considered to be problematic. But there's been like the more evolution then 
of the movement where if we even borrow from, you know, the thought and the dissection of cancel culture by Dr. Robin Espinoza, he actually invites us to kind of rethink whether cancel culture does not employ the very same supremacist tools to disarm people who are considered to be problematic. So succinctly, this is to say those who are considered to be victimized uses cancel culture to inflict the very same pain or even more to people who are considered to be problematic. But how do we make sense of that? How do we get to understand what Espinosa is saying? I mean, he's got his own reasons, but for me, this is what I actually started to think about is saying, sometimes you come and you say you want to cancel somebody because the person is problematic, but in your cancellation, you are not aware that you're actually inflicting more pain that just doesn't touch the person who's problematic, but even their loved ones. People lose jobs. People lose, you know, different forms and sources of income. And I mean, I wish for us to have a more special edition of, you know, an episode where we speak and we dissect cancel culture much more. But this is not necessarily more about that. I was just bringing cancel culture as one of the things that we need to understand how we use to actually even weaponize issues of race. You know, you give a good glance at the Me Too movement and... I mean, at some point, even one of the founders, Tarana Burke, uh, acknowledged the fact that the movement had degenerated from what it had, it was intended to be or to look like in the beginning of it. But the point is, not just within the political terrain, but also within different forms of movements around cancel culture, there's, there's this continuing polarization, this continuing of harming other people instead of embracing the culture of having a deep conversation, regardless of whether we agree or we disagree with one another. And sometimes that can be problematic. I mean, I'm taken aback to the episode I had with Nikki Black, where we were speaking about womanism. You know, this point is not particularly about womanism, but it is more about the fact that we were in agreement of the fact that sometimes you know, trauma does not, trauma when it knocks at your door, it does not allow people to question and to fact check whether somebody says something out of line as a deliberate act or people just need to be called in and be taught one or two or few things around that. But it seems as though just everybody wants to jump onto the bandwagon of cancel culture. I mean, with that being said, I'm reminded of Dr. Loisi Lushaba in South Africa, in Cape Town. Just a couple of months ago, you know, he was giving a talk, not a talk, a lecture to his political science students, you know, about the history of political science. And at some point, he made a statement that angered a lot of people. And, you know, people who are so rooted into sensationalism tried to have him cancelled, try to have him lose his job. And by just 
you know, trimming a certain aspect of the entire lecture and have an aspect that sounds harmful or hurtful to circulate on social media. And this, 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 is, this is part of the section I'm talking about. So in, in this lecture, Dr. Loazi said to his students, and I quote, Hitler did not do anything wrong. All that he did was to do to white bodies that which was preservedly or supposedly to be done to black bodies. And I close. Now, that, that, that's not necessarily the actual direct quote, but that's the gist of what Loise was trying to say. But the overall message from Loise was the fact that political science has been quiet about atrocities and pains that have been you know, inflicted on black bodies in the subaltern sides or former colonies for quite a long time. And prior to the Holocaust, there has been many killings in the subaltern sides, but political scientists never actually reported those because the world was so rooted in the reality that black people or people of color are subhumans. Therefore, their stories did not really matter into the world. But there comes a time then then you see the Holocaust taking place. Therefore, political scientists has to document those atrocities. And he was questioning the positionality that they're taking, the racist logic embedded within political science then. But so many people came forward and started calling Loisy, you know, a racist, a Holocaust denialist so forth and so forth and whatever. But in so doing, I feel like they were actually even doing the same thing that, you know, the very same political scientists that Loisy was talking about were doing. Because here he was juxtaposing the pains inflicted on black bodies with the pains inflicted on white bodies. And it seemed as though for some people, it was only the pains of the ones that still mattered that Loise should have actually embraced than trying to say, but there's also this other pains of black bodies that is being avoided. And this reminds me in the very same conversation of Yomi and Joe Rogan, the fact that at some point Yomi asks the question, how do we come to the point as a world where we think about which slave is better than the other? And, and she used the word slave. You know, which slave is better than the other? Which slave should be embraced and which slave shouldn't be embraced? And that's the same polarization that I'm talking about, that it continues in the world. People would rather come to the corner of one group and not to the corner of the other group. But in so doing, they're suggesting that there's a certain slave that is far more better than another slave. I mean, within the very same context of cancel culture, we can speak about the current, you know, episodes or <laughs> things taking place in the world. There's a man who's now been trending for almost a month, if it's not a month already. That's Dave Chappelle. Now, I'm not even 
going to try to sort of defend Dave. This is this episode is not even about defending Dave, but it's about sort of bringing forth similarities within things happening in the world and to question where exactly do we stand and whether in our actions are we really moving further away from hypocrisy? In our actions, aren't we trying to differentiate? Aren't we trying to decide which slave is better than the other as Yomni Park poses the question. Dave just mentioned a whole lot of things in his last special on Netflix, The Closer. And I mean, part of what he said is something that actually angered a whole lot of, you know, people in the LGBT community, but particularly the trans community. And I mean, if you'd remember even his previous work on Sticks and Stone, he actually even spoke the very same joke or whatever. But despite the fact that in the closer he went much more deeper, don't you think that as time goes, the more angrier we become about things that are being said and the more people we want to cancel, even though they're saying or reprising the same things they've been saying in their body of work for quite a long time. And that's one question we've got to ask ourselves. But there's just something about Dave, and he's a you know allergic attack towards the trans community or the, the LGBT community, that made me think about different events that happened in the past. I don't know how many of you also remember Katie Hopkins, who's, a, I think she's a British reporter. Um, so let me just refresh your mind for those who don't remember Katie Hopkins. Katie Hopkins um, is one of the reporters, you know, who jumped onto the bandwagon of saying South Africa has got a white farmer genocide. And at some point, I think she made her way down to South Africa to join the white farmers' protest. The very same Katie Hopkins, who stood by the side of white farmers, later on, a couple of years, not so long ago, I think she was deplatformed by Twitter because she posted a whole lot of stuff, you know, char characterizing people who were dying in the borders and you know, using some derogatory terms such as rats or cockroaches or whatever. But the thing is, not so many, you know, people saw it problematic for her in the way that she was continuing spewing hate speech and hate culture and a racist logic in South Africa because the idea of white farmers, genocide, whatever. It's very complex in the sense that I don't think many people have actually taken enough time to research about it or to even understand what is happening there. So everybody was just jumping onto it and speaking their mind without proper evidence or rather deliberately silencing other voices that were trying to be legitimized and really my positionality is that, you know, nobody should be killed, whether, whether black or white. But the reality is that you look at also the idea of white farmers' genocides. Within that conversation is also the fact that in the contemporary 
there was still a lot of black people who were experiences who were experiencing a lot of atrocities in the hands of white farmers. Could be sexual harassment. Could be assault. For those who who might remember the uh, coffin case, how a black man was assaulted by white farmers and put in a coffin and threatened to be buried alive. Those things are still persistent even today. And no one want to speak about them because there's a selection of which victim is better than the other. And that's the polarization that I'm talking about, the hypocrisy that I'm talking about, how we're able to legitimize one's pain over another's pain. Katie Hopkins is the very same woman who actually referred to Casta Semenya as a man. For those who don't know Casta, she's a, I think it's a three times world champion in the 800 mar- women's marathon. Casta is in the very same sex relationship. And in one of her tweets and whatnot, Katie even continues to speak about how this woman who's men structured and whatnot was getting married to a wife and blah, 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 all those things. But what struck me is the fact that even within that conversation, there was a couple of people who just stood in defense of Kester, but the larger LGBT community, I felt like they were very quiet about Hopkins' hate speech. Or is it even hate speech? But point is, they were quiet about a certain individual who's part of the LGBT being singled out. But all of a sudden, we come to the point where Dave doesn't just single out an individual, but speaks more about the entire community, the community that can have cohesion, you know, and they're proving to have the cohesion right now in the attempt to challenge, you know, Chappelle's opinions. But they were quiet about a certain individual being singled out and watch the single person going through even the hard moments of having to go to an international court to challenge certain laws within the athletic body that wanted her to reduce a certain level of testosterone from her body in order to contest within the 800. I mean, that kind of body modification that they're trying to even put out there. If we are to sit and we ask it, we ask ourselves genuinely, isn't that part of hypocrisy? What do you make out of it? But anyways, cancel culture is growing. It's not only Dave was experiencing it. It's not even only Katie who experienced it until to the point of deplatforming, getting deplatformed on Twitter. Donald Trump got deplatformed. J.K. Rowling's got cancelled at some point. In South Africa, McGee, Fresh, and others were getting cancelled because of talking out of line or treating certain bodies inappropriately. But how do we get to the point where we decide 
which slave is better than the other or which victim is better than the other? Or how do we even get comfortable in the silence when we see other bodies that come and claim to stand in the name of love, stand in the name of peace, actually creating that very same demarcation line between demons and angels, because that's what is happening. If you decide which slave is better than the other, or which victim is better than the other, you're sort of alluding that even within the body of victims, there seems to be angels and demons. What do you make out of it? I mean, another thing that I'd love us to just take a bit of a gaze on is within the religious institution, Yomnit shares with Joe Rogan that at some point in order to find her way to the southern side of Korea, she comes across a group of religious missionaries who help her know how to get to Southern Korea. Now, she meets them in China. But the thing is, they say to her, you've got to convert first to Christianity before we can show you the way down to China. It made me think about this kind of hypocrisy that has also been taking place in religious camps or religious organizations. I posed on Twitter, on Insta at some point asking the question, how do we decide that Christians are far better than non-Christians when the very same Christ that we worship in a Christian institution, believe we believe that he came for everybody. There was a time when Biden pulled off the troops from Afghanistan where Many Christians started to circulate posts that says pray for Christians in Afghanistan. And I was like, how hypocritical that in this time you think only Christians deserves the safety. When there's too many women and children and men, basically everybody who might actually be victims of tyranny or whatever. And all you want to think about is to single out and say pray for Christians. And I said, I'm, I'd rather not pray, really. Because it seems there's a bit of a forgetting of, you know, the importance of just the religious institution, the religious faith itself, you know. And I was so much uncomfortable with that. But anyways, if you sit back also and you look at the entire religious, particularly Christianity, because that's what I'm much more familiar with. You gotta see that the hypocrisy is not really just a today thing. It has it is historic. You know, it has been there always. You know, from the times of Constantine coming up to Renaissance, coming up to the Reformation with Luther. Hypocrisy has always been there. Political influence has always been there. Violence has always been there. And today we want to come and we look at certain behaviors and 
attitudes and we hear people even talking about how the Islamic faith is the only one that is more violent, but we forget the fact that Christianity in itself, you know, thrived because of violence. But it was very sad for me to hear Yomi on her conversation with Joe talking about how the Christian said to her, you got to convert, I mean, her and the group of people she was with, you got to convert into Christianity in order for us to help you. And I mean, it's sad because, again, we'll have a conversation about religion. So I'm just touch basing a little bit here, then diving more deep with it. Um, but what I wanted to say is that it's sad to see that even today, the same things that happened to Yomni are happening, but at the same time, the things are also historic. But I said also at some point, and I'm thinking that perhaps that is why Jesus said he did not come for the healthy, he came for the sick. But the sad thing is that part of the sick of today they are not even aware of that they're sick. Or it's either they are deliberately turning a blind eye to their sickness. So, like I said earlier, that this hypocrisy stretches beyond just politics, as a national politics or state politics, stretches beyond the employee-employee relationship, stretches even beyond religious organizations. But I mean... They're also visible within families and friends. You know, within the context of families, I'm thinking about so many unfortunate things that actually exist as a result of, you know, hypocrisy and toxicity of certain family members. You know, I'm thinking of the hypocrisy where Parents say to kids, do not speak out about this sexual harassment or the sexual abuse because the perpetrator is a breadwinner who might withhold the resources from us. I'm thinking about how many kids today do not know their Fathers, because the father happens to be the uncle and the family would rather be comfortable being quiet with that because it's, it's an embarrassment. Then kids grow up without knowing their identity. I'm thinking about the hypocrisy of colorism, where the darker child is not embraced, is not loved, the yellow one 
or the light on is embraced and loved. I'm talking about when the fat child is not shown love, but the one with a model-like type of a body is the one who's embraced. I'm talking about how black sheep are actually reproduced within families because you're not smart enough. Therefore, we can't include you in this conversation. I'm talking about moments where certain aunties and uncles are not included in major decision-making either, but somebody's wedding or somebody's funeral because you cannot contribute in the family. You, you, you're not employed. And those are things that, you know, we keep quiet to and days down the line we wonder why things pan out in the way that they do today, why young people are perishing, why so much violence and intolerance even within families because it's certain elephants that we're not comfortable confronting. I'm thinking even in the context of friends itself, how certain people come and appear as confidants, hence their constituents. As soon as another bus that moves quicker approaches, they jump out of your bus, they're gone. How people come and appeal for love and appeal for embracement and you give to them and whenever they get better, then they're gone. I'm talking about context where people would come and claim certain atrocities in their lives in the name of getting your support and your approval and you give it to them and as soon as they're better, then they're gone. I'm talking about moments where when you feel the friendship is not as healthy as it should be and one begins to speak out and then there's a lot of gaslighting, you know, I'm speaking about cases where even yourself among your friends, at some point you feel attacked by the imposter syndrome because the people you call friends do not actually even create a safe space for you. I'm, think, I'm talking about the hypocrisy of claiming to love people, hence tomorrow you take their stories and feed them to their enemies who use those stories to bring others into the demise, to their demise rather. It's bad. And more bad is that we are getting more comfortable in these things, in the name of what can we do? It is what it is. It's bad that we cannot even talk against these things because, oh, you're being too sensitive. We don't want that. But really, should we be apathetic about all these things? I always have these conversations with friends and recent conversation I had with a friend in South Africa was it? we can't do away with racism. We can't do away with greed. We can't do away with so many atrocities. And my question was, then the fact that we can't do away with those things, does it mean we got to give up? Because for me, I'm thinking that had it not been the pushback of feminism, I mean, even today, toxic masculinity still exists. Even today, racism still exists. 
even today, though many scholars speak about neocolonialism. The point is, had it not been either, had it not been for the movements that existed in the past, life would be even more terrible. Toxic masculinity would be even a biggest giant than what people think it is today. Colonialism would be the biggest thing had it not been of a lot of abolitionist movements, anti-apartheid movements, and so on and so forth. So we cannot give up because we see these trends growing. And I mean, sometimes these things are also exacerbated by the existence of mainstream media. But should we be quiet about it? Because sometimes in the end, you'll see that the toxicity will even get much more closer to you. I'm reminded of the words of the German theologian, uh, Dr. Martin Nimula, who actually articulated this. I think it was in a poem, and, and I loved it. It says, first they came, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. I mean, the sooner we realize the fact that sometimes when we are quiet, we're digging a hole. When we are quiet, watching atrocities happening to certain forms of groups, we're also digging a grave for ourselves. I recently had a conversation with another friend here in Australia and I was asking him what would he consider as the best version of a better life even for him. And I like the fact that in his response, he actually spoke about the fact that a better life for him also will have to take the fact that even his neighbors and not necessarily direct neighbor, but people around him, that even them, they are better. Because if they're not better than for the entire um, humanity will, will face chaos. You know, whether we like it or not, and I feel like th this should not just be a principle of people who could who are powerful or whatnot, but whether we like it or not, we may we may at some point want to employ one of the laws from Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Power that says we've got to appeal to people's interests than their mercy. And this is even to the context of the one person who, for me, it's, it's even to the context of the one person who cannot give you anything. Because Sometimes when you think one cannot give you nothing in a form of a tangible resource, you find that one can give you respect as a resource, safety as a resource. So if you focus on only yourself being better, but others not being better, they will come and disrupt your version of better because they conceptualize better different to you. 
if you want to have all the good things and you're fine sticking around the capitalist system where only you have high means of production, but you undermine the people who work for you, you know, they'll always find a way to come and manipulate and sabotage that which you're building. If you want to come and have all the resources and you build high walls and not stand in solidarity with the poor, they'll always want to come and snatch that which is beautiful from you. And I mean, it reminds me of Peter Rowlands. Peter Rowlands said something interesting. He says, there's a certain gaze which we have to employ at some point. And the gaze is the fact that we need to understand that sometimes you can never get rid of one's toxicity because other people's toxicity might be a toxicity of yourself. So if you choose to turn a blind eye over somebody else's atrocities, that blind eye will cause other people's toxicity to come knocking at your door. And this is even in the context of just speaking out against, you know, or even in a form of a debate, how sometimes people can be against each other. We, we, we have to learn to hold different or contrasting views, but at the same time embrace love. And at the same time, work towards protecting each other. And, and this is for everybody. It's not just one thing directed to only the white group or the black group or the Hispanics or whatnot. Every humanity, we have to see at some point that it is incumbent upon us to ensure that we create a safe space for all of us or else the toxicity will keep on growing. Even within the hype of the growing trend of mainstream media, the growing trend of technology, even how the algorithms are manipulated to sort of create certain conflicts, to create propaganda, to create the divide between the haves and the have-nots. I mean, I'm thinking even in the times of COVID, how I saw a post somebody saying, she's sick and tired of the toxicity of her family and she's done with the family because the family is not embracing the idea of vaccination, COVID vaccination. And I'm, I thought to myself, something of about two years of age or whatever, two years in existence has caused you to be done with long lasting relationships because people hold different views from those of yours and you're comfortable with it. But this is the reality of what is happening today. I wish for us at some point to think carefully about the words of James Baldwin, who says, we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. Wherever you are, Whatever you do, I wish for you to question your privilege, your line of privilege, whether you looking out for yourself, is it really creating a safe space for yourself? Or it's you repeating your toxicity and multiplying your toxicity to others who might actually inherit more anger and violence than that which you have. I want to leave you with that thought. 
just to think about it. Whether are you becoming a better human or you are indeed exacerbating hypocrisy, toxicity, and all forms of absurdity in the world. I'd love to have more engagement with you just about the letter that I shared here and feel free to write back to me um, on the Insta platform and the handle is at underscore revisions underscore tones. It has been great talking to you. I hope you let your thought continue this conversation with those who are around you and I hope you continue to spreading some love, care and support to those around you, including those who are different from you, either in the form of sexuality or religion or race or whatnot. But let us not um, cease pursuing being better humans. Thank you for choosing the Visions and Tones podcast. Have a good one.